You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you are blessed this morning by our message. I know I was in the worship. Um, hey, I've been talking to a lot of people, getting different people's perspective. And um, they're really all over the map, to be honest with you. And sometimes it's hard to take all these perspectives in. But I've compiled six coronavirus perspectives that I want to share with you this morning. The first one is from someone in the, I think he works at a hotel. And this is, this is what he says. If you want to know what it feels like to be in the hospitality industry during the coronavirus pandemic, well, remember the Titanic and the band was continuing to play? Well, we are that band. <laughs> a little bit doom and gloom. Um, this one is kind of funny. It said, our grandparents were called to war. We're being asked to practice social distancing and to stop hoarding toilet paper. <laughs> uh, I love this one. It says, the first time in history we can save the human race by lying in front of the TV and doing nothing. And he says, let's not mess this up. <laughs> Um, and then there was an excerpt from someone's uh, coronavirus journal. They started doing it on day one. It's a day one of the quarantine. I'm going to take this as an opportunity to improve my health. Day 45 of the quarantine was a little different. She said, due to personal reasons, I am eating a lasagna in my shower. <laughs> this one was really kind of nice. It hit home. It said, the coronavirus has proved to us that everything around us is so temporary. Things our lives revolved around, work, gym, malls, society, have all gone for a toss as we learn to live without them. It has taught us that in the end, it's your own home and family that keeps you safe. And last but not least, this is my absolute favorite. It says, it's okay to fall apart sometimes. Tacos fall apart, and we still love them. <laughs> I love that one. Um, but really... One thing the coronavirus pandemic and crisis has caused me to do is pray more. As soon as this happened, I just, it felt so overwhelming. And I thought, if I don't pray, if I don't pray more, I don't know what's going to happen. So I really started praying. And in the beginning, uh, I was praying probably similar to what you guys were praying. I'm like, Lord, keep me healthy. Keep my family healthy. Keep the church healthy, safe. And let us not get coronavirus let us not die. Uh, and Lord, find a cure immediately so we can go back to life the way it was ASAP. Lord, we want to go back right now. Please, Lord, please. And as this crisis continued, um, some of my prayer time shifted from actually just asking God for things to asking God questions. And there was two specific questions I started asking God, and I put it on my prayer list. The first was, why is this happening, God? Have you asked that yet? I think we've all asked that. Uh, and the second was, what is your purpose in all this, God? Because I know I trust God, and I know in everything, there's always a purpose that he brings about. And um, so I'm like, God, what is this? why is this happening? And second, what is your purpose in this? And I'm sure you've been wondering the same things. Then I decided to take some time and think, you know what? Sometimes I, I just add those questions to my list and I'm like, okay, hey, help my family, this and that. Lord, why, did, why is this happening? What is your purpose? And then I would just skip down to my list. And then one day I thought, you know what? I should actually listen. 
and see if I hear from God. And it's funny how when we slow down, we set our mind on God, sometimes we can sense God speaking to us. Um, You know, I've never heard God's audible voice at all, and I don't know if I've, I, I know of anybody who has, but sometimes thoughts come into my mind, and oftentimes they are indeed God's thoughts and God speaking to me. Sometimes it's like 100%, like you're praying and and you're listening and all of a sudden God just downloads something to you and you know that you know that you know that it's God. And other times it's like you're 50% sure it's God. You're like, I think it's God, but you know, I'm not quite sure. And then on those other times where you're like, you know, you think it was God and you find out it wasn't God at all. It was maybe the pizza you had last night did something to you at night and you find out. But, But my motto is to take risks. You know, I want to hear from God because Jesus said that I am the good shepherd and we are his sheep and the sheep hear his voice. So I want to take a risk and as long as it's not reckless to hear from God. But word of warning, when you're reckless, bad things can happen. It's, it reminds me of the story of the guy who um, he, he was at a fork in the road. He needed direction and he was praying and he wanted an answer from God like yesterday. So he was getting frustrated. And finally, one day he's like, God, you're going to tell me today which way I should go. I want direction. So he said, God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my Bible. I'm going to open it and I'm going to close my eyes. The first verse I point to, that's what you're going to say to me. And that's going to be my answer. So he does that. He gets his Bible. He um, he starts, uh, you know, flipping through it. And then he points to a verse and he opens his eyes. And that first verse said, Then Judas went away and hung himself. And he's like, ah, now that definitely wasn't God. You know, God, yeah, I have no idea what that means. Uh, And so he's like, okay, God, one more time. I'm going to give you one more chance, God. You ever said those kind of things? I'm going to give you one more chance, God. So he's like, God, please speak to me. Speak to me, Lord. I know you can speak to me. So he opens the Bible. You know, he does his roulette search, comes to a scripture, and then looks at it and it says, Jesus told him, Go ye and do ye likewise. (laughs) So sometimes that can be a little reckless, uh, doing it that way. But on the morning of April 26, according to my prayer journal, I was listening to God. I was spending some time listening for that still, small voice. And then all of a sudden, two scripture verses popped in my mind. And those verses that popped into my mind was Luke 15, verses 16 and 17. And and when I looked them up, those verses fell right in the middle of the story of the prodigal son. And this is a common story a lot of us know, but I think God gave me a slightly new angle that jumped out at me. And after reading those verses, I felt God answered specifically the second question, what his purpose is in this whole crisis. And it helped give me some clarity and it brought a peace to me. It just reminded me that God is in control And so I wanted to share that with you this morning, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. And if it is, at the end of our broadcast, I would encourage you to share this on all your social media links or to anybody who you think would be blessed by it. So let's pray, and then we'll jump right into the story. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us today. Lord, it's a mystery, and sometimes it's a tension, but you want to speak to us, Lord. And I feel that you, you answer, you help answer the, some of those questions that we ask. Because, Lord, we have more questions than we do answer these days. But, Lord, you have all our answers. And I trust, Lord, that people would be blessed this morning. People would be encouraged. And that you would speak through me. Use my words to touch the hearts and to answer 
people's questions or bring light to certain situations. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke, uh, so the story, of the, the background of the story of the prodigal son, it's found in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. We're not going to look at all of them uh, today, but the, the overview of the story is there was a father and he had two sons. His son came to him one day, said, Dad, give me the inheritance. So his father did. So he took off and said he went to a distant land. He spent all his money on wild living. And lo and behold, a famine came and he found himself in a terrible situation, doing a terrible job. And then at the low point in his life, he remembered his home. He remembered his dad. So he went back and his dad uh, welcomed him back with open arms. So that's the nuts and bolts of the story. You know what? It's such a rich story. We can probably do a whole sermon series just on that. But for today, I want to focus on verses 14 through 18. So we're going to read right now Luke 15, verses 14 through 18. After he had spent everything, the prodigal son, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned in heaven against heaven and against you. So it's interesting. Um, when things were good, when this young man had money, when he had freedom, he lived by a popular slogan that's been popular for a long time and it's still popular today. And that slogan is, if it feels good, do it. <laughs> um, and isn't that what a lot of us want to do? It's part of our human nature. We crave everything our flesh wants, and we want to get everything our we want to have everything our eyes see. Um, but then a famine hit, and it was right after he spent all his money. Talk about bad timing. And the party was over. His fo- focus was no longer on just fulfilling all his wild fantasies, but his focus simply was to eat because he was starving. He was hungry. You see, a hardship like a famine shakes things. Possibly their whole world was shaken back then during that time. And you know what? Hardships are, unfortunately, a common occurrence in history. You go through any time, any culture, hardships come and hardships go. That's the way the life is. And the Bible is also filled with story after story of hardships coming and hardships going. Famines. One of the most famous was a literal famine, and it was during Joseph's tenure in Egypt in in Genesis. It was a seven-year famine, and that famine was massive and was difficult, and it caused tremendous changes in society. Um, Jacob, who became Israel, they all had a, a migration to Egypt, and they ended up living there for like 400 years plus. And they grew into a nation. So, so peoples changed. It was migrations. And then Pharaoh, who was the government at the time, did a power grab. Uh, because people were in such desperate situations, they were giving their, more of their rights and more of their money to the government. Funny how uh, history it seems like it's repeating itself right now, unfortunately. But throughout the Bible, we see how God uses these hardships And these difficult famines and situations to accomplish his purpose in his people, in individuals, in communities, and in nations. 
And doesn't that, isn't that way it feels right now? Like, we're, this isn't a famine per se, I mean, at least not yet, um, but there are worldwide hardships at every level. It's almost <laughs> like someone has taken the earth, for the first time I can remember, and just the whole earth is being shaken right now. You know, and things are loosening up. And it's like society is being shaken at all levels, and it feels like, like the government's getting more power, but they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, just all these ideas and perspectives that, that are flying out there. And, and the question is, will things stop shaking? Will things ever get back to normal? And it feels like the longer we go in this, it, it, it might not happen. We don't know. Um, but the prodigal son experienced a shaking in his life as well. In a very short time, he lost all his money. There was a famine that devastated the land. And then he, he was extremely hungry, probably for the first time in his life. It, but the thing is, is when the prodigal's world got shaken, it says in verse 17, he came to his senses. What does that mean? He came to his senses. It said he had a reality check. He realized that his life had come to nothing. All his sin, all the bad choices that he'd made finally caught up with him and he had regret. In a way, he hit rock bottom and he needed help to get out. And sometimes we need to hit rock bottom before we come to our senses. And coming to our senses is a scary thing, but it can be a great blessing. But then something great happened when he came to his senses. He remembered his dad. He remembered his home. He remembered all the provisions in his home. He remembered the love that was there. So he repented and he humbled himself. And when we humble ourselves and repent, God is pleased and he responds. Um, Psalms 51, 17, it says, A broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. And that's the position that the prodigal son found himself in. He was broken and humbled. And God used the famine in that land, the cruel reality that nobody would help him in his time of need. He was utterly alone and people were mean to him. And his literal hunger or starvation made him all come to his senses. And isn't that just what God does God is in the business of turning our hardships, around hardships, into something that's for our benefit. The reality is that God is a perfect father who loves us deeply and he wants the best for us. He has an eternal perspective and sometimes he allows us to go through tremendous hardships, famines, if you will. And he allows our loved ones to go through that as well because it's a tool that he uses to bring us into the place that he wants us to be in a better place. And sometimes when bad things happen, we misunderstand it and people can think that God has abandoned them or punishing them or even hates them. And I wonder if the prodigal son had those feelings. He possibly could have. But any thoughts that, any of those kind of thoughts that he might have had were quickly erased as he stepped foot onto his dad's property when he went back home. You know, I don't know what that scene looked like the Bible's not too clear, but I imagine that the father probably had a habit of scanning the horizon, looking for his lost son, because he knew he'd come back. And as soon as he saw him, he said, 
There he is, and he ran. He dropped what he was doing. He didn't tell someone else to go do it, but he ran, and he hugged his son. And his son was probably stinking and emaciated and filthy, but he hugged him. You know, he didn't judge him. He didn't scold him, but he loved him. He cared about him. He embraced him back into his family, and he gave him a place again in his life and in his heart. And that's a picture or representation of God. God is loving. God is kind. He's merciful. He's all-knowing. He has a plan to cause you to return to him when we stray. God is a good God. He's perfect. So part of God's mercy and kindness is to allow hardships that create a hunger in us to come back to our senses. And perhaps God is using the COVID-19 to shake us all up especially those people who have turned from God. And sad to say, in this country, oftentimes we do need a tragedy to wake us up. Remember after the 9-11 attack? Uh, people were rattled in this country. And what did they do? Church boomed. It was temporary, but it boomed. The Sunday after 9-11 happened was the highest attended church in the previous 20 years. It was amazing. And so what I felt God showed me in these verses was that the prodigal son only came to his senses once things got rough and he got hungry. So the most merciful thing that can happen was also the most difficult experience the son had to go through. But it was for his own good. In a sense, it was like the old term means tough love. You see, I think there's a principle illustrated here, which is when we taste of our own brokenness, we long again for what is real. We long for the taste of salvation and grace. Perhaps he didn't value that anymore. But through hardship, salvation and grace once again became sweet to him. It's kind of like drinking water when you're super thirsty. Have you ever been so thirsty that you drink anything? And then when you um, get that water, it almost has like a sweetness about it that you didn't appreciate it before. Because when you drink water all the time and it's so common, you know, it's just, oh, there's water. But when you're thirsty and you don't have it and you drink it, there's just a sweetness about it. Um, and when we are so thirsty uh, for God, when we come back to him, we appreciate the beauty of God. And a lot of times God rattles us and he makes us forsake all those things that we used to go to to satisfy our thirst and hunger. But when we don't have those things anymore, we develop a hunger. And then we go back to God and we realize there's nothing like you, Jesus. Nothing like being in your presence. And for the prodigal, it was exactly what happened. He went back and he had a good meal for the first time in a long time. And that night when he went to bed, he went to bed with a clear conscience because he was humble and repentive. And so we don't know how all the crisis really will play out. I'm hoping and I'm praying that it ends soon and that we do go back to, to prosperity and blessing. I mean, who wants hardship? I don't. But if God is using this to bring back the prodigals or the lost, Let's partner with God and pray that God will use this terrible thing and use it for his glory. What I really felt uh, from God after reading this was um, that God specifically wanted to use this crisis to shake the world of prodigals. 
because we have a lot of prodigals in our church, in the whole church world in America. And I'm asking God to use this crisis to shake their world, to bring them back home to him. You know, as a church family, we have a lot of prodigals, and that's reflected. We're pretty typical of most churches because as a nation, the statistics are between 60 to 80 percent of kids who grew up in evangelical homes, they end up leaving the church when they become adults. And I feel God wants to renew that heritage and bring back our, her- our, our prodigals. It's interesting. That's one of our core values. One of our core values at Heritage is to reach the next generation. In fact, our name, one of the meanings of our names was we want to pass the heritage of our faith to our kids, to the young people, and to our grandkids. It's interesting how maybe the enemy has attacked us in that area, and it feels like we are very much in line with most churches. We have a lot of prodigals. But wouldn't that be amazing if this pandemic would be a catalyst to bring back our prodigals? What a picture that would be. And as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of a vision or a picture God gave me last year. I remember it was in the fall. It was September. It was actually September 29th, 2019. And it was during a Sunday morning uh, worship time at Heritage. I was in the front. I had my eyes closed and I was just worshiping. And then all of a sudden I had a picture of a young man and my eyes were closed, but I had a picture of a young man who grew up in the church who I know, and he is a prodigal, and he's not following God. His parents know it. He knows it. And um, he was in the front, and he, you know, the picture of him, he was worshiping. And he had his hands raised, and he was going for it. He was kind of jumping up and down and praising God, and tears were coming down his eyes. And he was totally captivated by God and so in love with God. And I saw a picture of that, and it was like, wow, wouldn't that be neat? And then, and then I, I, part of that picture and vision I had, I saw this wave come and crash. It was like a wave of the ocean crashing on the sand, but it was a wave, and it was crashing in our sanctuary. And as the water receded, it left things. And I, when I looked a little closer, it was people, and the people were prodigals. And I felt God say that he wants to bring the prodigals back. And I'm trying to make sense of all this. Perhaps God's going to use this terrible crisis that we're all complaining and whining about. Wouldn't wouldn't it be worth it if the prodigals who grew up in our church, in our families, in our homes, came back? And we're like that picture of that kid just worshiping God and praising God. I want to believe that vision that God gave me is for us, is for now, is for our community, is for our nation. What greater joy can any parent or any family experience than when a wayward son or daughter come back to Jesus? Yes, Lord, please send the prodigals home. And if you have to use this corona crisis and even extend it, do it, Lord. Do it. You know, I want to pray and I want to ask God that our churches would be filled again with our youth, with our prodigals, with the millennials. And our, our communities will be transformed by a holy awareness of God. I mean, why not? Why can't we believe that? But you might ask, well, how can we do that right now? All our traditional methods of evangelism, they're all on hold. Kind of, we're kind of muted at the moment. We can't even meet. What can we do? Well, as simplistic as this sounds, this is what we can do. We can pray. 
That's the answer. We can pray that God will bring him back. We can pray for a move of God to come and enlighten us, uh, enrich us, and fill our church with lost. We want to pray for a wave of his spirit to come crash in our sanctuary and bring the lost in. You know, prayer works. We underestimate it. We think it's a side note. But prayer works. God has called us to pray, and he's promised to answer our prayer. I want to tell you a story of one of the most extraordinary spiritual awakenings of modern history, and it was all due to the prayer of a faithful few. It happened in the Hebrides, which is a cluster of islands in the British Isle, close to Scotland, in 1949, and it's called the Hebrides Revival. And I want to read some excerpts from Duncan Campbell, who was one of the leaders of the revival. And this is his, these are his words. It said, this movement began in November of 1949 on the island of Lewis. Two old women, they were 84 and 82 years old, were greatly burdened because of the appalling state of their own church. It was true that not a single young person attended worship. Not a single young man or young woman went to the church. And those two women were greatly concerned and they made it a special matter of prayer. Then they gathered the pastor and seven others and prayed diligently for about a month and a half for about five to six hours a day. And they started at 10 p.m. to like three or four in the morning. And then one night, uh, a deacon in the church got up, read Psalms 24, and then he just fell on his knees. When that happened, the power of God swept into the, into the church, or parish as they called it, and an awareness of God gripped the community. Later on, as the move of God spread, there was an incident where over a hundred young people were at a dance one night, and they weren't thinking about God or eternity. God was in none of their thoughts. They were there to have a good time. But suddenly, the story says, the power of God fell upon the dance. The music ceased, and in a matter of minutes, the hall was empty. All the young people fled, even though it was nighttime. Simultaneously, men and women who had gone to bed got up, got dressed, and made for the church because such a hunger and thirst gripped the people. 600 of them now are at the church standing outside. Then the blacksmith turned and said, I think we should sing a song. So they sang, and they sang, and they sang verse after verse. Oh, what singing, what singing. And when then the doors were open and the congregation flooded, flocked back into the church. Now the church was packed and it was now going on towards midnight. I managed to make my way through the crowd along the aisle toward the pulpit. I found a young woman, a teacher in the grammar school, lying prostrate on the floor of the pulpit praying. And this is what she said. Oh God, is there mercy for me? Oh God, is there mercy for me? She was one of those at the dance, but she is now lying on the floor of the pulpit crying to God for mercy. That meeting continued until four in the morning, and that revival lasted several years, resulting in many people repenting and turning back to God, and that whole community was transformed. And this all started with two little old ladies, 82 and 84 year old, who were frustrated that there were no young people left in their church. And that frustration led them to pray, and then they prayed some more, and they prayed some more, and they prayed till some more until God answered that pray, prayer and it changed their community forever. Can we do that again? You know, I talked about history repeating itself in a bad way earlier, 
Can we do this again and let history repeat itself in a good way? I want that kind of history. I believe God wants to bring the prodigals and the lost back to our church, to heritage. My heart is to see a move of God where people come back to God. People encounter God and get saved. Where we hear people crying out to God, Oh God, is there mercy for me? Oh God, is there mercy for me? And then heaven will start to rejoice. Because it's the sweetest thing ever. When you see people who go from despair and hunger to fulfillment. And that's what we as Christians have to offer. And I want to, if you're just turning in and, and maybe someone gave you this and you really don't think you're in a good spot with God right now. Maybe you've never followed God or maybe you've fallen away for God. I want to speak to you because I want to invite you to right now commit your life back to Jesus. Just like the prodigal son, he turned from all his sin and he went back home to his father, to God. And God is, maybe God's asking you to do that today, to turn away from all the junk in your life. Maybe it's already, it's already fallen away, but God is calling you back. Maybe he's rattling your world and he's saying, come back, I love you. And you know, as soon as you come back, as soon as you lay foot in his kingdom and his world, he'll embrace you, he'll love you, he won't judge you, he'll forgive you, and he'll give you food. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we can have him, taste him, and experience him. And I want to see God move in a mighty way and bring back souls to our church. So if, if that's you and, and you want to get close to God, let me just, let's bow in prayer right now. And I want to invite you to, to give your life once again to Jesus. Just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I want to return to you as my God, as my Father. Forgive me of all the mess that I've made with my life, but I give it to you right now. And let me feel that warm embrace of your presence right now. Amen. Let's pray and let's believe that God would move in a mighty way in our church and bring back souls and refresh us all. Isn't that what we want to see? Isn't that what it's all about? Is there anything better? You know, it's been too long for me personally before uh, until I've seen that. And I think it's been too long as a congregation where we've seen masses of souls coming into our, you know, and joining our family. But let's pray together. The harvest is plentiful. And I just want to speak a blessing over you right now and, and finish our time right now in prayer. Lord, I just thank you that, Lord, you put this on my heart and Lord, I ask, oh God, that for those, Lord, who it's resonating in their heart right now, that they would hear this call to pray and to pray and to pray, to pray until you answer to, Lord, all those prodigals, Lord, we are saying no more. We don't want to just be satisfied and thinking one day, one day they'll come, one day they'll come back. Lord, we want to say, come, bring them back today. Bring them back today. Bring him back now. And if you have to use this crisis to do it, so be it, God. So be it. We lay everything down at your feet and we trust you that, Lord, you will work all this out for your kingdom and your glory. We love you, Jesus. I just ask you to bless everyone who's listening today. And Lord, let us see the harvest of souls. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, 
go to heritagesc.org.